everyone. Today is episode three of the four-part series that I'm doing on Viola Davis's memoir, Finding Me. Uh, the Just to recap, the first episode was about the various environments that contributed to uh, Viola Davis's upbringing. The second episode uh, focused on her experiences with racism in various contexts. Today's episode is going to um, focus on trauma and mental health. Uh, and then next week's episode is the hopeful episode. And I've uh, given the, the title to that episode of Simply Hope. Um, so that's going to be the episode where um, I kind of highlight some of the different things that worked out and how, you know, the first three episodes kind of uh, culminated into some things going well for Viola Davis. Before I get into this episode, I mentioned that today's episode is going to talk uh, about trauma uh, that she's endured. Uh, I do want to give a trigger warning. So there's a, a few topics here um, that could be triggering to some listeners. So I just want to give fair warning. Um, this episode will cover um, her experiences with domestic violence, rape, abortion, and uh, fertility um, issues. So uh, please be advised. Um, and yeah, let's jump into this episode. So to begin, um, I had mentioned how this episode is on like trauma and mental health. Uh, if you've listened to episodes one or two, you can see, um, you, you can kind of hear a lot of the experiences that uh, contributed to, you know, self-esteem issues, anxiety, um, PTSD, a lot of uh, different um, uh, conditions and symptoms that uh, Viola and her siblings um, dealt with based on, you know, how they grew up and um, the circumstances that were stacked against them. So um, I'm going to begin with a quote. Viola says, quote, memories are immortal. They're deathless and precise. They have power. They have the power of giving you joy and perspective in hard times, or they can strangle you, define you in a way that's based more in other people's tucked up perceptions than truth. And then she goes on to say, man, I'd rather go 10 rounds with Mike Tyson than face some inner truths that have lain dormant. Hell, at least with Mike, I can throw the fight. But this inner battle, this inner fight, I couldn't throw. End quote. So I I share this to introduce the episode because, um, you know, as a therapist, uh, I'm obviously an advocate for, you know, um, uh, processing emotions, experiences um, for the interest of better mental health, right? Um, but her quotes here show how it's not just simply, you know, therapy isn't always like, uh, easy. Uh, and sometimes it is truly a battle. Sometimes it's really, um, you, you feel a lot worse before you feel better, um, depending on what it is that you're going through. So, um, I like that she's very vulnerable with that and kind of talking about how it's easier to avoid and to suppress uh, things that you've been through than it is to actually deal with them. Um, but when you actually start dealing with them, it can be very difficult. Um, 
So moving on throughout uh, the book, um, Viola talks about the many instances of domestic violence um, that she witnessed growing up between her uh, father and mother. Um, and so I'm going to share one example uh, here, um, and it's pretty consistent throughout um, at least Viola's upbringing. Now, later on, um, the her father did, um, you know, kind of turn over a new leaf and started to, uh, how do we say, he he basically stopped being abusive and started being a supportive partner to her mom. Um, so there is some light at the end of that tunnel, but I think the experiences in, uh, such as the one I'm about to share, um, really influenced, uh, Viola as, um, there are many examples. So I'm going to jump into this one quote. <clears throat> well, my mom and dad were fighting. I never knew about what. Most of the time, fights just started because my dad wanted to vent. They were facing each other and screaming, and my dad picked up a glass. I grabbed my sister, Danielle, with one arm and put the other arm between my parents, willing them to stop. None of my other sisters were home. My older sister, Diane, left me a stern warning. If they start fighting this time, try to stop them. Up until this time, we had never tried to stop them for fear it would get worse because it would. With my arm between them, I was gently saying, please, daddy, stop. It didn't work. Tell me I won't bust your, your head open, May Alice. Tell me I won't. Then he just swung his hand and smashed the glass on the side of my mom's head, and I saw the glass slice the upper side of her face near the eye and blood just squirted out a lot of blood. I couldn't anymore. I couldn't passively stand by as he lifted his hand to swing again. I yelled, stop. You just stop right now, daddy. Give me the glass. Give it to me. I saw my hand shaking uncontrollably. My heart was in my throat. I was immersed in fear. He stood staring at my mom, wanting to swing again. My dad never looked at me. He kept his hand gripped on the glass, staring at my mom, his eyes bloodshot, wanting so bad to hit her again. I screamed, give it to me, screaming as if the louder I became, the more my fear would be released. And he gave me the glass and walked away. I took the glass and hid it. And my body felt like I had just been beaten up or ran 30 miles. I had to stand up to my father, the authority figure, the one who should be taking the glass from me, teaching me right from wrong, the most frightening figure in my life and the first man we all ever loved. Frightening. Without knowing, I had already been imprinted, stamped by their behavior and all that they were. As much as I wanted my life to be better, the only tools I had to navigate the world were given to me by them. How they talked, how they fought, how my mom made concessions, how they loved and who they loved shaped me. If I didn't bust out of all that, would this exhaustion and depletion be what I would feel after every fight in my life, even the small ones? That fight marked the beginning of my shift, 
Looking back on that night when I stood up to my dad and wiped my mom's blood, I knew my life would be a fight. And I realized this. I had it in me. End quote. So that was that was a um, a good snapshot of kind of you know to build upon that first episode where we talk about environments that kind of contributed to um, the person that Viola Davis has um, become. Side note, per usual, uh, Zion, my dog, is snoring. Um, so if you hear a little background noise, that's him. But yeah, this one. Um, the thing that really jumped out at me was the last sentence where she she said, you know, I knew my life would be a fight. And she realized that she had it in her to fight. Um, that's where there was kind of a shift because, um, you know, in reading her story leading up to this point, um, there was a, a lot of sense of, you know, hopelessness, um, a lot of instances where literally her back was against the wall. There was very little control. Um, so she, you know, with the book title, I mean, I, I think this was a pivotal moment where she started to find herself. Um, so I'm going to share another quote that kind of um, picks up on this same sentiment. Quote, when I look back at what I've seen, my only thoughts are that it is amazing how much a human body can endure. There are not enough pages to mention the fights, the constantly being awakened in the middle of the night or coming home after school to my dad's rages and praying he wouldn't lose so much control that he killed my mom. Sometimes her head or arm would be split open. She would have a swollen face, split lip. I was always afraid when he picked anything up like a piece of wood because he would hit her as hard as he could and keep beating sometimes all night. There were so many times that we would see droplets of blood leading to our apartment and we just knew what was happening. It was chaos, violence, anger, and poverty mixed with shame, end quote. So those quotes about um, domestic violence kind of speak for themselves. <clears throat> and rather than giving commentary, I just want to reflect on the fact that and I say this all the time, but I really love memoirs because it gives a um, it gives a story to common experiences that people go through. Um, and there's I, I have no doubt that someone is going to read this book and feel um, seen and validated. So um, I really appreciate the her sharing um, the the detail of some of the experiences with domestic violence that she witnessed. So moving on, um, I want to share a small snippet. It doesn't give the full context, but, um, you know, uh, what I've noticed from reading so many memoirs of um, Black women is that sexual assault is very common. Um, and she shares uh, her story, and um, I think it, it provides... Um, more context to this theme of trauma and the impacts on our mental health. So, quote, I'm ashamed also because the last time I was with him, I went to his house to tell him we're done. He wanted to have sex, and I most definitely didn't. I was on my period. We struggled. He kept pulling my pants down. 
I thought about punching him, but I didn't. Maybe that would have been an acknowledgement that what was happening was rape. So I gave in and afterward left, ashamed. That's how I felt, but what I showed was a young woman in control. I compartmentalized the trauma and filtered it so that it would lie to me and keep me safe. Another dirty secret, another shame lashing. Why didn't I punch his ass in the face? Why didn't I fight the same way six-year-old Viola did when the boy next door tried to kiss and touch me in his house? Six-year-old me punched him as hard as I could. No apology. Hell, he kicked me hard afterward and I got back up with tears to kick his ass again. Somehow, along the way, I guess, I felt she was wrong. That in my journey to the top, to being more evolved, I left the street fighter behind. I left my claws. End quote. So I don't have much to add to this particular quote because um, it most certainly speaks for itself, but I include it to put words to these very common experiences. Um, So far in this episode, we've talked about domestic violence and sexual assault. And there's, you know, we're about to go into Viola's experience with an abortion. Um, And these are all, of course, very heavy topics, um, very politicized, um, uh, very triggering topics. But um, like Viola said in the beginning, um, this is the types of things that um, get pushed down and not dealt with. Um, And so I know in her writing this book, it was clearly very, you know, therapeutic and cathartic. Um, But I think it also speaks to the bigger um, message of, you know, how we all need to deal with the things that have shaped us um, and how it's not really easy to hear or to um, go through, but it's uh, essential to survival and healing. So um, I'm going to jump into the next quote now. This is probably the most uh, charged and controversial um, topic, Um, but given the um, current political climate um, and the the emphasis on, you know, pro-life versus pro-choice that is going on in the media, um, I think that this is a um, relevant example. And I'm going to preface this by saying the experience for Viola as she shares it in her book um, with having an abortion was very traumatic for her. Um, I want to preface this by saying by sharing that her experience was traumatic does not necessarily mean that uh, the decision uh, is either inherently right or wrong. There have been a few people who say like, oh, well, what? what mental health impact does this have on somebody? Or even um, they they talk about how the they make it as if women choose um, abortion as a like a flippant, you know, uh, passive decision. And many have said, you know, people don't come by this decision lightly. Um, and so I think I, I, I preface all of that. Hopefully it made sense. I say all of that to say this example 
um, is a very, um, it's very relevant to this current uh, conversation because it talks about, um, you know, the, the lack of support, the lack of financial ability to raise a child. Um, and also the, you know, obviously this was a while ago, several decades ago um, that she went through this experience, but the, you know, kind of the, the trauma of going through an abortion and um, recovering from that and stuff like that. So uh, again, this is one example um, but I think that it will be very, uh, relevant. So let's get into it. Shall we quote? Everyone has secrets, everybody. I guess the difference is that we either die with them and let them eat us up or we put them out there, wrestle with them or they wrestle with us until we reconcile. Secrets are what swallow us. There's always one secret that drives the nail in the coffin for me. It is as fresh in my memory as if it happened yesterday and yet distant. Two weeks before graduation, I woke up sick to my stomach and I just knew. I got pregnant by my boyfriend of seven years. I remember taking my headshots that week and going to see Beauty and the Beast at the movie theater and all I kept thinking was, I'm pregnant. I didn't know what the fuck to do with that. It was an emotion far beyond scared. It was as if all the irresponsible decisions I had made had culminated into this. Ever since I started having sex, which was late in life, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, you can learn about birth control, but how to love? How to be consistent and responsible? In control, create boundaries, hell, even making sure you had the money to access condoms or birth control pills. The only commitment I had down, I felt, was my career, and that took everything I had. All the other facets in my life overwhelmed me. Now, I was pregnant. I remember I went to a clinic near Juilliard. I went early in the morning and had to cancel the first appointment because I had eaten. I came back the next day. Each room was something out of a Stanley Kubrick film where you were getting closer to your demise. There were some very nice doctors who put me on a surgical table and I was put under. I woke up terrified. I woke up as if being attacked. The pain was excruciating more than any pain I'd ever experienced. They had told me there may be some pain, but man, there is what is said, what you heard, and how it actually is, and this pain was not what I thought it would be. The recovery room was a bunch of folding chairs arranged in a circle. They placed huge pads on each chair to hold the bleeding from surgery. There was a woman in each one, and there were at least a dozen of them. They gave us apple juice and crackers. All around me were women vomiting in bowls and screaming or moaning in pain. One woman kept crying. I couldn't keep this one. I couldn't. I already have five and no money. Another girl who looked 15 kept screaming. 
Mommy, mommy, I want my mommy. Me? I just cried and vomited and cried through the pain until it was gone. I went home and bled profusely for two weeks and fell into a life-altering depression. Hell, I remember calling my boyfriend, yelling at him. Where are you? Why aren't you here? He thought what I did was wrong, and yet there was every probability that he wouldn't be there for me or the baby. There were no resources financially or emotionally at all. Once again in my life, I had to rely on the Santa Claus theory to get through major life-changing obstacles. I was always asked to rely on miracles. My boyfriend finally came to New York to hold me for a day and then left. It was a perfect reminder that as much as I thought I had evolved into a mature woman, I hadn't. There was no escaping brutal life accidents that can stop you and render you completely frozen. The big clots of blood were a constant reminder that I terminated a life, and I absolutely, without question, knew it was a life, which I had traded for my own life. Try dealing with the weight of that shit. My mom started having children when she was 15, and I wanted my life to be different. This baby didn't fit into my dreams. Who was I without my dreams? The bigger the dream, the more the shame of that little third grade Viola could disappear. The bigger the dream, the more people would not call me those names I was running from. The bigger the dream, I could be worthy. End quote. So I won't provide any commentary on that. I think that her story is concise and representative and shows many different facets and angles and contexts for this very heavy topic um, that is currently being um, debated all over the place. So I'm going to leave that where it is. And so um, on a lighter note, I want to talk about, um, you know, so we've talked about some traumas, we've talked about um, you know, the impacts on mental health. Um, and so I want to backtrack a little bit to um, Viola's first acting competition in high school um, because it comments on how uh, she realized that she was dealing with anxiety at a very young age. And if you've been listening to these episodes, you can see that she came by it honestly because of the environments that she grew up in and, you know, what she witnessed and stuff like that. So here's the quote. I was intensely shy. I felt alone. Looking back, I see I had more social anxiety than shyness. I felt that who I really was was not worthy of a reveal. I was terrified every time she had to come out. End quote. My commentary on this one is brief in that, you know, we look at um, actors and we think, um, you know, uh, they're confident all the time they're poised and all of this but um i really appreciate how viola um you know is very vulnerable with the fact that she doesn't always have um endless confidence and um you know self-esteem behind the things that she does and i think for me it helps to uh it normalizes that you know people that we look up to as celebrities are normal people too. Um, and it's a, 
it's I resonate with that because, you know, in my job as a therapist, I oftentimes people would expect a therapist to be like the expert, the the poised, put together person who somehow fixes people's problems. Uh, my approach to being a therapist has been uh, to be vulnerable and genuine with my clients. So um, rather than, you know, uh, showing that I'm like perfect and unimpacted by things and how I'm an expert who's fixing other people, I let people know I'm a human too. I deal with a panic disorder. I talk to a therapist. I see a psychiatrist. Like I do all of the coping mechanisms and self-care things and things like that. And sometimes it's still hard. You know, life is very difficult. Um, You know, at the time I'm recording this, we, um, in the news, you know, we heard last week that um, there was another school shooting and I think it's just a, it's a reminder, at least in this context for this episode, that to appear that everything is okay, to um, act, you know, unfazed or jaded or whatever, um, it does have a consequence. It, it, it definitely, um, it will come up somewhere. Um, and so to not, you know, harp on this too much, I, I just want to say like last week, um, I actually had to put a boundary with, um, you know, social media posts about the topic of school shootings because it was just, um, I didn't have the energy to uh, consume the content. And for my own um, interaction with it, it would have been toxic and it would have depleted what little I had left, which um, in my profession, I have to expel a lot of emotional energy to do what I do. Um, and so I had to, I had to set that boundary there. Um, and if you're listening to this and you've made it this far in the episode, um, it's just a reminder to like, if you need to pause this episode or skip it, um, I completely understand because sometimes you have to, um, well, you, you have to prioritize your self care. So, um, if you're listening to this episode and the topics are very heavy and triggering, I strongly encourage you go ahead and skip this episode, um, and join me back for the next one because that one is more hopeful and light. So, um, if you're still here, Thank you for joining me. And I'm going to jump into the next little tidbit about mental health with Viola that I found uh, that surprised me. Um, And so she talks about her experiences with a condition called pica, um, which I have never actually seen in my clinical practice. But I've obviously studied and read about it, um, you know, in the process to becoming a licensed therapist. So. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about that, um, and then we're going to talk about um, her experiences with therapy. So, quote, I also developed a really bad habit of eating cornstarch. My mom would eat it growing up, as did many people in the South. I later found out it was from a condition caused by low iron levels called pica. The symptoms are cravings for weird textures such as ice, rubber, and even starch. It was an embarrassing habit because I was always trying to hide it, end quote. 
I ran upstairs and grabbed my DSM-5 TR, um, which is the basically the therapist Bible, psychiatrist Bible. It has all of the mental health conditions listed. Um, and the TR is actually the newest edition because it stands for text revision. So um, I just got this like maybe a week or two ago. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit about a little bit more about PICA um, for those who may not be familiar. So uh, I'm reading verbatim from, you know, I'll paraphrase some, but from the DSM-5 TR. So uh, PICA is characterized by um, persistent eating of non-nutritive, non-food substances over a period of at least one month. Um, the, the eating of these non-food substances is uh, inappropriate to the developmental age or um, level of that person. Uh, the behavior is not part of like a culture or something that's normal in that person's life environment or context. Basically, uh, it's a habitual eating of something that's not food, not nutritious. Um, and it causes a level of distress biologically, psychologically, socially, etc. Um, so even the DSM gives uh, not a very in-depth de definition of this, but um, I feel like that is pretty sufficient for, you know, the average listener of this. So um, I'm going to move on to uh, Viola uh, briefly talking about her experiences with therapy. So uh, like a lot of memoirs that I've, you know, shared about on this podcast, um, many people go through therapy at various stages throughout their life. Um, some people uh, have the um, belief that therapy is like a one and done sort of situation, but, um, you know, you might go to therapy at one age for something and then revisit it later on for something completely different or possibly the same thing that you were dealing with before. So, uh, it doesn't always fall, follow like a, a linear, um, pattern and it's not a, a the sort of thing where it's like, oh, I do this thing and then I'm cured type of thing. So sometimes it's a little bit more complex than that, but here's the quote. I was in therapy and would have phone sessions once a week. My therapist would always say, you're not poor anymore. You're not the little girl with no shoes or hot running water, end quote. So very vague, I know. Um, but the reason I shared this one is because it, it shows how she incorporated therapy into her life as she's, you know, building her acting career and stuff like that. Um, it really resonated with me that her therapist would constantly remind her that she's not in that survival state anymore of, you know, being poor, not having shoes, not having running water and uh, basic access to hygiene and that sort of stuff. It resonates with me because, you know, based on my upbringing and um, how I navigated, you know, uh, becoming an adult and being independent, I, of course, started um, for me, I started supporting myself at 14 um, by working and tending to my own, you know, physical needs. Um, and 
you know, as I got older, I started, you know, being able to, you know, gain income for myself and stuff like that. It really uh, was a process to um, allow myself to step out of the survival mode. Um, And I would say even to this day, um, I have therapy sessions with my therapist where I have to kind of revisit the fact that sometimes my anxiety or um, my impulse to decide or make a decision a certain way is based in the fear of um, uh, somehow reverting back to not having my basic needs met. Um, So it really resonated with me um, that even someone as accomplished as Viola Davis has to um, be reminded that you know, she's not in a, a state of survival anymore because it's definitely uh, something that I experience. So long story short, therapy is beneficial um, and it is flexible and it, it's not necessarily something that if you do it, it's a sign of weakness. It is it is a way to um, practice self-care and to continue to heal throughout your journey. So Um, To conclude this episode um, on, you know, various uh, traumas and uh, mental health components that uh, Viola, you know, discusses in her memoir, uh, I'm going to share about um, a a story about her experiences with infertility. Um, So again, that's another trigger warning uh, for those listening. Feel free to skip the end of this episode um, if you need to. Definitely take care of yourself. So um, I share this at the end because there is a little bit of humor um, to this uh, and how she she dealt with this. So I'm going to share it and then we will kind of wrap up for today. So quote, Julius, who is her husband, was already in the room by then and had decided to take me to the ER. I had an abscess fallopian tube. The doctor came in with the diagnosis and said, we have to operate immediately. I had already had two surgeries for fibroids. I had nine fibroids surgically removed when I was about 30 years old. Later, I had another surgery where 33 fibroids were removed. Now it was a fallopian tube. My sisters Diane and Dolores both almost bled to death after giving birth and each had to have a complete hysterectomy. Anita had three children and never had surgery, but she has bad periods. It felt like a generational curse. I was anemic. I constantly had issues with my reproductive organs. I didn't want to continue to be in and out of hospitals, bleeding during my periods for extended periods of time, sometimes for months straight. I thought of what I was doing to my life with Julius, my career. I felt I had to make a Sophie's choice, a transformative decision. I was done with suffering. As I was about to go under, I said to the surgeon, I am going to tell you something right now. I am not going through this anymore. I am not doing this anymore. When I wake up, I don't want my uterus to be there. I want a hysterectomy. The doctor began reciting the rhetoric. I'm electing to do this. Well, what if he was a very nice doctor, but I said, let me tell you something. If I wake up and my uterus is still here, I'm going to kick your ass. Okay. Kick your motherfucking ass. 
The doctor was terrified and said, Oh, okay, Miss Davis. Okay, Miss Davis. All right. Julius was laughing. Later, my doctor would tell us that when they opened me up, I had many adhesions, much scar tissue, but my uterus actually looked good and they probably could have kept it intact. But keeping an intact uterus and fertility are two different beasts. As the surgical team went back and forth, he, remind, he said he reminded them, I'm telling you, she is going to kick my ass, end quote. So I, share, I, I put that one at the end because it's, it's obviously a, a serious um, topic, but, you know, in her sharing the, the, the story, it's, it's humorous. Uh, basically threatening the doctor, like, if you don't deal with this this, this time, we're going to have problems. Because she had dealt with, um, uh, you know, abdominal pain, fibroids, um, <clears throat> all sorts of stuff, um, you know, throughout her life. And she was just done with suffering. So um, I didn't share it in the quote, but uh, they did end up, um, you know, listening to her wishes with that surgery. So um, that is kind of the conclusion there, but we've covered some, um, difficult, heavy topics today. Um, but they're relevant. I think, um, part of the, the, I guess, direction or theme of this podcast has been to talk about, you know, real life and mental health and how our experiences shape who we are and how we cope. Um, and so, we don't shy away from things that are harder to listen to or discuss. So um, if you made it this far in the episode, thank you for listening um, and be sure to join me back next week uh, where I'm going to share some examples and quotes from this memoir um, where things uh, became hopeful and where um, things started to turn around at various uh, stages of Viola's life. So you definitely don't want to miss that conclusion to this series. Um, but until next time, thanks once again for listening and take care. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.